Our patron of the week is Lee Sang-yoon. Sang-yoon Lee. Lee Sang-yoon. Thank you very much. We love you. You are listening to the Tableau Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Tableau Podcast. So today's episode is called Guide to Epic High. Part 1. And uh, finally, I'm going to talk about some music. So people have been hitting up my Twitter, my Instagram, the Tableau Podcast Instagram, um, ever since like episode 1 because they wanted me to talk about music a bit, right? Because it's, it's a music commentary podcast. Did you know that? Did you guys know that? Diane, did you know that? It's in the music commentary section. Okay, that wasn't our intention. That's I know, just where just, it ended up for we some We just reason. had to shove it somewhere. <laughs> and that was like the most… They were like, Tableau, he does music. So music commentary. But anyways, a lot of people were like, Can you talk about your music a bit? And a question… Like a recurring question that I keep getting is… I recently became a fan of Epic High. Where do I start? You guys Same. have… <laughs> You guys have a huge catalog. There's too many albums. Yeah. Like too many songs. There's, I, I, I searched you guys on YouTube and Spotify and there's just so much shit. Like where am I supposed to begin? How about this? How about for people who for some reason which could very be possible don't even know you for your music but actually potentially know you from this podcast at this point. There was one comment just like that. Really? They were like… So dude, I had no idea who this guy like even is. But someone recommended that I listen to his podcast. And now I'm like enthralled. And now I want to check out his music. But where the f*** do I begin? Well, before even that, let's do this. Can you logline Epic High? Okay, so Epic High is a group of three people. Three unique individuals. <laughs> One person is moi. Uh, I am Tableau. <laughs> I uh, produce the beats. Um, I'm, so I'm the songwriter. I, I make the melodies. I write the lyrics. Um, I rap. Uh, I have a daughter named Haru. I, my wife is, a, is an actor and she's uh, Kang Hae-jung. And um, am I supposed to I don't say know all how they're part of Epic Hive. I grew you're up… You're making it sound like… Because you said three people. So you're making it sound like the <laughs> other members of Epic High is Haru and Kang Hyezong. I grew up never imagining that I would end up doing music. Um, it was a passion somewhere in the back of my heart somewhere. And uh, after college… Anyways, there are other members in the group. Uh, one member is named Mithra. He has a beard uh, that he often shaves off for some reason. And I hate that he does that because it's like I can't recognize him. It's become such a trademark. Uh, so, anyways, Mithra raps. He writes uh, his raps. Like, yeah. I hope so. Do you notice how I, sure I like? Do you so. notice how I like introduce <laughs> myself like ex- extravagantly, like <laughs> you know, unnecessarily like superfluous, in full like details. Detail. Yeah. Um. So. Mithra is a is a very good rapper. He's got this deep voice. Um, he's also very like sometimes cute looking. Um, DJ Two Cuts is 
uh, a beat maker. He's a DJ, obviously, because there's a DJ in his name. Um, and he's he's a very good. Um, one of his best works, I think, is Born Hater, um, which was a beat that he made and then put into. Did I ever tell you this? Okay, so one day I went to his workstation and I was like, "Yo, yo, we need we need a couple more songs. I don't want to produce any more beats. So let me check out some of the beats that you have." And he's playing me all these different beats, and I'm like, "Yeah, next one, next one, next one, next one, next one." <laughs> next he's one. wondering why you even asked. And then he's like, "Okay, hold on." And then he plays me one, uh, which. Ended up being born hater, and I I heard the beat, and I'm like, dude, what the hell? Why have you not played this for me before? Because this is this is exactly the beat we need, uh, dude. I'm like gonna come up with my verse right now, and he's like, I didn't play it for you before, huh? Is that <laughs> really? And I'm like, huh? What? What do you mean? And he's like, dude, look, you see how it's in the trash bin, and I'm like. Why is it in the trash bin? This great beat. And he's like, because you told me to erase it. And I'm like, when? He's like, a couple months ago, I played it for you. And you're like, this is whack. Trash it. And now you love it. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, was I drunk? <laughs> like, was I tired? But anyways, so DJ Two Cuts is a, is a really good beat maker. Um, he produces a lot of the big songs with me. Um, so the three of us, uh, met back in like 2002, 2001, 2002, um, before I graduated from college and, um, you know, ended up doing music together. And we've been together for like, I think this is the 17th or 18th year we've been together as a group, oh. which is crazy, right? That's like, that's longer than some marriages. Your band is an adult, a legal adult. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, it's just way too long. These two men are your longest relationship. Anyways, so <laughs> you guys don't don't bring don't go there. Let's just not go there, okay? I can't believe it either. Okay, so I've been together with these guys longer than I've been together with my wife. Yeah, uh, longer than most of my friendships. You know, like this is just it's just really long. Um. <laughs> But anyways, so the question, where do I begin with Epic High stuff? Um, so Epic High's music world is, is, I wouldn't say unique because it happens now. But um, back in the day, I think when we started, um, I think it, it was pretty unique. And the reason why, not just because of the sound or because of the content, um, there was some world building. Okay. And another way to say that would be intertextuality, right? The literary way of saying that. Um, so intertextuality is when one text is informed by another text. So for example, in uh, popular films like Marvel films. Pixar. Yeah, yeah Pixar, Disney, Star Wars. Uh, wait, that's all Disney. Or even like in the DC universe, you know, like references, Easter eggs, where like in a movie, something from another movie will pop up. Um, and we all enjoy that now, right? Like you go on YouTube and Easter egg videos and reference. Did you catch all the references? 
Like that's huge. And um, if you also look at like, uh, you know, like Back to the Future, for example, right? Was a film on its own. But in Back to the Future 2, there's like a Jaws 54 or something like when they go to the future. Mm. You know, there's like a, there's like a theater, movie theater playing Jaws 59 or something like that, right? Yeah. And that's a callback to Steven Spielberg's Jaws. And then Back to the Future gets gets a callback in uh, Avengers Endgame when they're discussing time travel. They're like, Back to the Future was bullshit. And see how like all these films… There's just like references of each other. Yeah, are referencing each other. And also like Stephen King films… It all, mm. they're all separate movies and separate stories, like even in the novels, but it all happens in Castle Rock, right? And, you know, we call that sh- like a shared universe now, but um, back when we started, that wasn't a big thing. Especially because you're doing music and that those are all like yeah. mostly films and texts. Like, there's really no need for world building in music. Um, but I wanted, uh, my music or my discography to be intertextual. And the reason why is at the time, I felt like a lot of the music that was coming out was great. I love that. I love the music. But I felt like technically you could give that song to another person and it wouldn't make that big of a difference. Yes. Right. Where I didn't feel like the music or the albums were coming from a a unique personality. With a unique set of hopes and fears and dreams and nightmares. And I wanted to create a discography that where the albums were speaking to each other. Where it was all coming from uh, or all living or breathing within a shared universe. So that people will know so that the listener will know that it's authentically coming from me. Yeah. Your songs are you know I mean? your songs are really specific. If that yeah. makes sense. Like in, especially in terms of its lyricism. Uh thank you very much. I think this is the first time <laughs> Diane has uh complimented your me. music. <laughs> or at all. Like oh, not please. even music. Oh please. But okay. <laughs> the the reason why this was important was it also was a reminder to myself that I I needed to um, connect all my albums in a, in certain ways so that I could make sure that it was coming from a genuine place within me, right? I didn't ever want to veer off of this shared world or whatever uh, of this epic high world um, and start creating things that are not me. And this was my way of doing it. So. For you to get started listening to Epic High, you, you, because the question is going to come up in your head. You're going to be listening to a few albums and you're going to be like, wait, this lyric was in this song on this album. Why is it coming up again? Um, wait, this topic is, was on this album. Why is it coming up again? And the reason why is it, I intended it that way. Like I wanted my albums to be connected. Our first album was called Boom, Map of the Human Soul. Map of the Human Soul. The reason why I called it that was because this is the debut album. And you know what they say? Like, I don't know if you know, but musicians, um, 
a musician's first album, uh, they've been making that their whole lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. The second album, the third album can take a year or two, whatever. But the first album, you've been making that album your entire life, right? And that's what Map of the Human Soul was for me. So the title… Um, I came up with the title, I think, even before the album was even a third way done, right? Like, I wanted an album that was called that because um, I wanted it to be a map into my soul. So if, if you need a map to navigate through someone's soul, I needed this album to be that map. I don't know if I, you know, succeeded. I don't know if this is the album I'm most proud about. I actually don't really. I don't like my voice on this album, honestly, because I oh, was. Because you said you were like trying stuff, like you no, were. Not, were you I, trying to like change? I was your voice really a little young. bit. No, I was really young, and it's actually, uh, it's actually just really like my voice when I'm energetic. So my voice is, yeah. My voice, normally when I'm talking, like just. Having coffee with somebody is like this. Hey, so what, are you, what, are, what have you been up to? Yeah. I know. That was so funny, huh? That's my voice. But when I'm like excited, I'm like, Yo, what's going on? And that's what I sound like on the first album. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. And it's very youthful because I was a kid, basically. And um, anyways, so the first album is called Map of the Human Soul. And it begins with a song called Go. And uh, so Go is the first song Epic High. Uh, is the first song as Epic High. It's like the beginning of our career. So hence Go, right? And it begins like this. With like some harp. Okay. Okay. I, We're now going to progress to some steps which are a bit more difficult. Ready, set, and begin. begin. So it begins with this sample uh, that Two Cuts did on his turntable. And um, I, I wanted to use this sample because like, it's like we're going we're gonna to progress to some steps that are a bit more difficult. Where right? is it from? Uh, it's from like this long, like old like dance, like, you know, like… You know, like an old record, you know, narration kind of thing. And um, I liked it because it says like we're going to progress to some more difficult steps. And, and I realized that starting my career, there are going to be hardships and there are going to be like some struggles. And also I'm going to have to discuss a lot of things um, in my music that may be difficult for me to face. Right? And because that's what art is supposed to do. And I liked how like this… It's probably from like a dance instruction or something yeah. like that. And I like how it's this really joyful kind of fun sample. But at the same time, it's, it's touching on something that I know for a fact is going to happen. Yeah. Like difficult steps are ahead of me. Well, I like… Let's go. I know? like the I like the ready like the way he just goes like 
like this is gonna get difficult and like when you hear that you you want to almost be like okay well hold on yeah but he just goes right into okay ready set begin and it's kind of like you're forced into like action or momentum or whatever yes yeah and this is the song i think you guys should all start with because um on the song we literally um introduce ourselves like i i'm like hi i'm tablo and like this is what i'm about and mithra is like i'm mithra this is what i'm about two cuts unfortunately doesn't rap so he doesn't get to say (laughs) anything but he just did with his hands right at the beginning with this sample and this sample um it, it was Somebody, a lot of people actually sent me tweets, but um, this sample is also the first thing that comes out on like BTS's first album, apparently. And also it was reused on their most recent album. So um, because BTS members have mentioned on like interviews that they… You know, they grew up listening to our music and they were inspired by our music. Um, A lot of the BTS fans were like, this is so cool that they are referencing um, the first song on Epic High's album on their first song. And I don't know if that was the intention, but if if so, like that's that's pretty that's a pretty good feeling for me. Um, Because. I grew up listening to certain artists that I, you know, that I loved. And that was why I did music. And I referenced a lot of their stuff in my music as well. And um, the fact that, you know, my music can be referenced. I don't know if that's the case. But if if that's the case, then that's pretty, that's a good feeling. That's well, like the best kind of um, compliment. Well, their album is also called Maho the Soul. Yes. So uh, which I'm is another sure, thing. I'm yeah. sure the case for them um, taking inspiration is there. Which is awesome because BTS are like <laughs> not just any group. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. The fact that like… And also what I love about that is if like the map of the soul thing and you know these um, different references. Also there was like a skit that actually literally mentions one of our album covers. Oh. And um, these things are great for us because we're like… <laughs> thanks for the promo. <laughs> Yo, thanks for shouting it out. But no, but what I love about that is… I love it when artists take an inspiration from somewhere and then do their own thing with it. Which is like incredible. And that's what um, BTS has done with the whole like Black Swan thing as well. Like just… Concepts that I I used to love, and when when they tackle those concepts, they they do it in their own way and open these new doors, which I think is pretty cool. Because um, I I used to listen to a lot of like Teji boys, Sateji either, and um, a lot of the stuff that inspired me when I was like a little kid, and I and then I became a musician and I took. Um, some of those inspirations and I did my own thing with it. And um, if that inspired another group, because we all know a ton of other groups are going to be inspired by BTS too, right? So the fact that like this baton, every time it becomes, like every time it gets passed on, it becomes something more amazing. It becomes like a magic wand basically, right? Which is pretty cool. But anyways, what I'm saying is, uh, so 
goes that first song. And another song you guys need to check out is uh, Lesson One. Which was um, a solo song I had on the album. And it's all in English. And uh, I actually wrote it during college. When I was working at that coffee shop making sandwiches and frappuccinos for these Dan, Dan, the spoiled man. brats. And then I, <laughs> I went on break. And as I was making these orange frappuccinos for these, you know, for these econ majors. I was like, there was, there was a thought in my head and I was writing out the lyrics in my head. And I went on break and I was like, I can't forget this. And we didn't have, you know, like smartphones at the time. So I wrote it on a napkin. I put it in my pocket. Finished my shift. And then went back home. Put it on my computer. And eventually that became uh, lesson one. And uh, so that's a, that's a song that you guys should check out. And there's also a song called I Remember. Which was our main single. Um, uh, it's, it's probably the, the, the poppiest song on the album. Yeah, I have a question. About singles. Mm-hmm. Because singles are most more so a marketing tool, right? Yeah. Right? It's supposed to be kind of like your best foot forward for the rest of the album. So that people are like interested. Yeah. But in your opinion, probably the single isn't necessarily the best song. It's in- just the most Interesting that you bring it up because on this first album, we had the entire album done. Mm -hmm. And I told you we had some struggles, right? Like people screwing us over so we couldn't get the album out. So this song, I remember, which became the lead single, was the only song that wasn't on the album. Oh. So we had a finished album without that song. And we were… After we got screwed over and we needed to find a new label to pay off our debt so we can get the album out. Our studio debts. Um, all the all the companies we were meeting were like, your album is not commercial enough. Right? Yeah. And we kept hearing it. And we were like, okay, clearly we need a song that is a bit more commercial. Like at least one song. Um, and then we made this song. And then it was placed into the album. So ironically… The main single was the only song that wasn't supposed to be on the album. Right? Mm-hmm. And I guess I have a love and hate relationship with like main singles. Usually I just make a bunch of songs and then have people decide for me. Like which should be the lead single. Because I don't really care. All the songs on the album are important to me. Yeah, right? they're there because they should be there. Yeah. So I don't really care which one is the lead single. But… um yeah, the first album that, that was the case with I Remember. And also, I just hated performing this song. Because they they turned me into a… a the magician. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the magic boy. They turned me into magic boy and turned Mithra into a space pirate. Okay? And Two Cuts… I don't know what his thing was. He was like… He had like this swirly beanie on. Like he looked like a crazy like Wizard of Oz slash Gap kind of weird concoction. I I have no idea what it was. We looked weird. And I didn't like that. And our normal clothes, like the clothes that we usually rocked, they were fine. I recently put up some pictures on my Instagram. Okay. And those pictures are are before this debut um, stage. And we're just wearing our own clothes. And people are like, dude, these you guys look like, you know, now. It looks very 
like contemporary. And I don't know why they didn't let us just wear our own clothes. They were like, that, that looks, you guys just look like kids on the, on the street. And I was like, exactly. And they're like, no, we're going we're gonna to turn you into a magician, give you like a magic carpet and also like turn Mithra into like a space pirate. And I don't know. Anyways, let's go to the second album. The second album is called High Society. Ooh, a play on the word high because you guys are epic high. Anyways, um, so on the second album, and this is what I was talking about with intertextuality and also like it all being connected within like an epic high kind of world. Uh, there's a song called Lesson 2, which is an obvious sequel to Lesson 1. And um, when I did this, my company, like some people in my company, they were like, wait, are you going to continue like are you going to have like a series of songs? Because like they hadn't ever heard of like sequels to songs, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I, this is all coming from me. Diane just… Oh, Diane, stop Googling us. You just sent me a picture of… Oh, this is from a different time. It's, it's a whole different yeah, time. Yeah, there were many times that… <laughs> Oh my God! Two cuts looks like <laughs> the hands Watson. Is the, he looks like the hands is what gets me. In he, he looks like the evil villain in a Sherlock picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so lesson two is a sequel to lesson one. You guys should check that out. And there's another song uh, that begins a new series called Pie Mangsang Part Three. Okay, it begins with Part Three. Okay. For some reason. Um. It's a song by Epikai and TBNY. We, TBNY was featuring on it. The song is uh, like four different horror stories uh, inside the song. It, it, in English, PM Angsang would be like, I think like persecutory delusions. It's like paranoia. Yes. Right? Where like you're gonna, someone's gonna get you. And um, in the song, we talk about like, it's horror stories, but like where you've done something wrong. And it's coming back to haunt you. Uh, you guys should check that out. There are other songs you should check out. But um, those two, definitely. And then the third album comes out. And this was actually the beginning of our like huge like commercial success. Yeah. Um, before that, we had like… You know, we got great reviews. We sold very well for a hip-hop group. And at the time, hip-hop was not big. Like, it was not anything near what it is now uh, in Korea. Like, rappers were still… Like, the whole thing about rap was still, you know, not very commercial. Like, Yeah. Uh, real quick, I just have a question. Uh -huh. Basically, because obviously for me… Uh, as being one younger, <laughs> two mm -hmm. um, Korean American. So what? Yeah, like what was like the climate of music when you were especially putting this third album out? Especially when it comes to like hip hop and rap. What was like the mainstream style of hip hop and rap that was being commercially successful? And like I would feel like you guys are probably pretty different from that. Like it, okay, so um, there was you know there were. Many, many rappers, but like hip hop just wasn't a commercial, like, you know, no album was becoming a commercial success, right? Like, it was, it was always like 
oh, that's pretty, those are pretty good numbers for a hip hop album in Korea, you know? And like a lot of people just didn't get it. They, they didn't really, there were like a lot of the young kids loved it, but um, it was sort of like when hip hop was beginning in the States, you know, like just people just didn't get it. But it, so whatever hip hop or rap scene that did exist at the time around you, what like were in terms of content of like lyrics and like music? Oh, it was very like golden era hip hop at the time. Okay. You know, like, um, you know, and like overdoing the struggle and stuff like that sometimes. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Right. Because, because like I said, hip hop, because it was so far from mainstream at the time, like hip hop musicians had to go out of their way to to be hip hop mm. to be very hip hop right to show their legitimacy in a way because otherwise no one was taking it seriously really and um and at the time it was like it was a it, it was it, it's interesting because even even in those times we were different even within the hip hop, you know, yeah. scene at the time. Like our music was, um, so it, we were in this weird limbo where, like, on the mainstream side, they're like, "Your music isn't commercial enough, and your your music is too underground. Uh, we don't get your music." And then on the hip hop side, um, the scene at the time were looking at our music like, "Dude, sometimes they're doing like EDM." Like rapping over electronic music, yeah, it was unheard of at the time, right? So they're like, they're like this tableau guy. He like, what genre is he trying to do? Mm. It's way too poppy for hip hop or something like that, right? So we were in this weird limbo where it, it was, you know, it was hard to be accepted on either side. And then the third album came out, and the third album was like the beginning of. Um, Huge success for us as well. But also like the first time where like a hip hop album was doing like, you know, like idol album like numbers. And um, and I think a lot of companies took a notice of that. And they were like, oh, a hip hop album can be hugely successful. Maybe we should start, you know, investing into hip hop. Um, I'm not in any way taking credit for all of that like we were uh we were one of many groups that were doing that mm -hmm. um that were making you know hip-hop popular um we just did it our own way um there were other groups like you know like drunken tiger um like dynamic duo that were um just you know killing it and i think it was everyone's like work that you know came together to make hip-hop popular. Um, but that was the time that we were functioning in. And the Swan Song album was that album. I guess, you know, uh, many of you probably have heard um, our song Fly, um, which was… I, I didn't know that it was going to be that big. Um, it was… I, interestingly enough, it was the first time we got some international attention as well because that song was put on… Uh, FIFA, the video game. So it's still on there. Like if you play the FIFA from like that year, um, for some odd reason, like Epic High is on there. And um, 
So check out that song. And again, like I said, we continued like the intertextuality and we had a song called Lesson 3, which was, you know, part three of that series. Um, we also had like we had a song called Swan Song yesterday. Uh, yeah, just check out this album. I recommend Paris. Uh, Paris is like a personal favorite of mine. Um, and there's also a remix version of it because we put out a repackaged version of Swan Songs called Black Swan Songs. So there's a Paris Black Swan remix, which um, interestingly enough was done. The remix was done by the guy that did the uh, Parasite soundtrack. Oh. So he's a he's a he's an incredible like um, soundtrack musician. Not just soundtracks, but he does music with Park Hyo-shin, Jung um, Jae-il, and he. And this was a long time ago, but he remixed um, Paris for us in a very cinematic way um, because that's what I wanted. And and congrats to him, by the way, yeah. for, for Parasite and everyone involved. But anyways, <laughs> um, so check out Paris because a lot of people just like Paris because it's got you know it's it's got like a good beat, got got a good melody and stuff like that, but. The song is actually about a vampire. <laughs> Interestingly enough. Uh, I wrote it from the perspective of a vampire. Who is like… Just… You know… Who's like in love but it's just not gonna work out. Because he's a vampire? Yeah. <laughs> That's and, just a coincidence. And I mentioned this vampire thing because it comes up later… By the way, today I'm not going to talk about every one of our albums because we have a lot of albums. I'm only going to talk up to like the fourth album. These are like the foundations. Yeah, fourth album. That would be like phase one <laughs> of Epic High. And the reason why it's the first four albums that I talk about in part one is because it's a good example of what I was trying to do, I think. So the fourth album was a double CD. It was called Remapping the Human Soul. So it brings it full circle. And that's why I call it like… You know, I, I hate to call it Epic High Phase 1 because it's so nerdy. But um, you know, I started with Map of the Human Soul and I remapped the human soul, right? And the reason why I titled the fourth album that way was I felt like um, I needed to remind myself of where I started. Again, because with the extreme like success, like the sudden success we got with our third album, like I felt like I might lose my foothold. I might like lose my center. So I went into the lab and like also um, at the time I had some like internal struggle with my company. Um, they were, you know, obviously we were, we were like very lucrative. So they were trying to put me in everything. Like I was on every TV show like ever. I was on all channels at the same time. I was in these different commercials in between the shows. And although, you know, I understand like that's not what I intended to do. And it was like eating me up. And I, I was very depressed. Um, often I had to take painkillers just to be on the show. Because like I was in literal physical pain. 
but they wouldn't give me the time to go to the hospital. And uh, eventually I told the company, I'm not doing any shows or anything that makes money for you guys uh, until, until I have an album that I want to put out. So I don't care how long it takes, just I'm saying no to everything. And then, you know, obviously the company didn't like that. But for two years, I went into a studio in the most lucrative time of my life. Um, I decided not to cash out and I just went into a studio and just worked on the album. And uh, came up with a double CD, like 27 tracks, I think. Um, and this album, there's a lot to unpack. So I, I can't really pinpoint what you should listen to. Maybe if you have a lot of time, if you have like a long commute, I suggest listening to the album. Um, and on this album, you know how I mentioned Paris in the third album, Swan Songs. And that song was about a vampire. And there's another song here called Komiju, um, which is Spiderweb, right? And the same character, I intended it to be like a similar character, like the same vampire telling a different story. So, um, so it's, 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 it's almost like the MCU kind of thing if you think about it. But back then, we didn't have that really. So… Um, I was really into different types of storytelling, sometimes in like even fantasy. Uh, and so we have a recurring character there. And there's also another sequel or prequel to Piemangsang, the, the delusion paranoia thing I was talking about. Um, and for some reason on this album, it's called Piemangsang Part 1. You uh, love parts. <laughs> I started with part three and then went to part one. And people are like, what the hell? What about part two? Yeah, yeah. You said punchline first, set up later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, and and here's the thing. Like, I still have, like, even in our recent albums, we have callbacks to our past albums. Like, for example, um, on… We've Done Something Wonderful, which was an album we put out in 2017. There's a song called Bleed. And on that song, we talk about like uh, some difficult times we had. And also like when I considered quitting the group, right? When, when I considered ending everything. And um, at the end of the song, um, t- we, we got like s- samples from, of our own voice from our previous album. Uh, from our third album, Swan Songs, where we talk about like how we're going to continue to do this. And we put it on at the end of Bleed, right? And um, Swan Songs, you, you know what Swan Songs are, right? Like it's basically like, the, you know, the, the, the thing where like the song that's, that a swan sings like right before it dies is like the most beautiful. It's not true, by the way, scientifically. But um, it's like a literary thing, yeah. right? So a swan song is like the final work of an artist. And actually, when we were making swan songs, I actually thought that was going to be our last album. Because our first two albums, although it got you know critical acclaim, it wasn't doing commercial numbers. So it was just economically impossible for us to go on. Mm. And because we were like living off nothing. And I thought that 
that the third album would be the last. So I called it Swan Songs. And luckily it became, you know, what it is. Um, but that's why we put uh, those lyrics into even our recent album. Because we want to still remind not only the listeners and our fans, but us that even 17 years, like, you know, 16, 17, 15 years later, um, and so many albums in and our careers are completely different, right? We've, you know, we're like performing all over the world and it's like something we never imagined. But even as it evolves that way, we want to be reminding ourselves of what it was like when we first started and of like time, difficult times that we overcame at certain points. And we want it all to be like, we still want it to be breathing within the same space as like the 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid um, that decided to tell his story, tell their stories through music back in the day with the first album, right? So that's why, that's why this whole like weird like shared universe thing happens in Epic High's music. And that my friends, is my presentation for today. <laughs> and hopefully, Miss Kang, I'll get an A for this presentation. Next I'm going to have to listen to these songs. I don't know when <laughs> Epic High Part 2 is ever going to come out. Guide to Epic High Part 2. Yeah. Uh, but not for a while. It's hard for me to talk about mu- my music, actually. Like, yeah. I don't really like talking about it. I, I'm always fascinated by… Um, ideation for music because out of all like in terms of media that is the uh, the least familiar to me and just like how it's tackled and stuff because it's so unlike in my opinion to a lot of things that I do know Mm -hmm. um I think uh one broader question is just like as you're writing songs that probably you know get inspired at different points from different things Mm -hmm. so when an album comes together is it typically like oh you're just seeing the natural themes that are reoccurring in this phase that you're writing songs or is it kind of like okay you have a couple songs and you have an idea for what you want the album's direction to be are you now gonna channel that for the songwriting or like basically what comes first right Mm -hmm. like the album concept or is it just all the songs coming together and you seeing how they fit together I think like when we were first starting music, I think it was like we would create, we would just be con- like we would just constantly be creating and then we would we would see like a theme, right? And then go with that flow. Hmm. But um I think the latter half of our career um so up to recent times, um I actually just like after I put out an album, I'll tour a bit, but I'll just stop creating for a little bit until there is something like a thought that I have or like a nightmare or like or some kind of fear or something. I have to feel like some emotion that I feel like needs to be talked about. And when that happens, that's when I start writing songs. So now I actually… Ha- know what I want to talk about on an album before I go into it. Okay. You know what I mean? But back in the day, I didn't because I was too busy. Like, you know, like when you're first starting stuff, like you just constantly want to create. And now it's like, there's so much that I've already created 
that like I need to… Like I need to be motivated by something else. I, I, it can't just be energy. Like it's gotta be… Like there's gotta be a reason for me to say those things mm-hmm. through music. Like, like an al- if I ever make another album… It needs to have a reason to exist. And if it doesn't… Um, it would just become a job. Mm. Like I'm creating purely to make money or you know… Which is ridiculous for me. I'd rather quit doing music completely… Um, than do it just because… Just because like it makes me… You know… It'll pay my bills. Yeah. Like… I'd, I'd rather work hard on something else. But I want my music to like have a reason to exist. And luckily… Um, till now it does. There are people that uh, need music from me. And I am grateful to them because I need them. Right? And But if one day like… And I don't know when that time's gonna come. Because I've, I've been doing it so long. Mm-hmm. I have like more than like 300 songs. Yeah. Right? So I don't know when that time is going to come. But one day in May. And I might be like… You know there aren't any more stories for me to tell. Like at least in this form. Like in music form. And if that's the case… I, I would… You know I, I don't want to like… Knock on wood. But if that ever happens… I will gladly quit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I know fans will be upset and some people, you know, will be like, you know, there's got to be more like just… But I'm not like… I'm not toothpaste. But also you don't want to see like someone kind of like dragged down. That's yeah. like more painful than someone just like naturally stopping where they should. And, and what I yeah. mean by this is I can have like one stream, right? Yeah. On Spotify instead of the millions that we get now, yeah. right? But if I feel like I need to say something on a song, it's okay that I have no one listening. Mm-hmm. I'll keep doing it, right? We could have millions of listeners, but if I don't feel what I want to say, like if I don't feel like I need to say it or that anyone needs this from me, then I will quit regardless of the fact that millions of people will listen to it. Yeah. Like that won't matter to me. And um, yeah, I just hope that that day doesn't come soon because I, I I like at the end of the day it's very hard and very difficult and very painful most of the time but at the end of the day I love um, when I feel like my music is affecting people mm-hmm. in, in a positive way mm-hmm. and that definitely um, I don't know if any other job can ever do that for me Okay. Last question. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> this is… I don't Ms. know. Kang. This is just what I'm curious about. Basically… Uh, what's your wife's least favorite Epikai <laughs> song? <laughs> least favorite Epikai song? Or, as in like… That's actually more just me asking like… Do you even like… Does she even like, listen to your song? She does. And like… Do you run things by her as you're working on, on them at all? Uh, I play certain things for her. Like… Not often, but uh, for example, okay. First of all, I I'm I'm pretty sure she doesn't like my first couple albums. Okay. 
I, I'm certain of that. Um, <laughs> she just gags. <laughs> well, because uh, she likes my she likes some of my more like yeah like down tempo like more like uh, subdued songs. And my subdued songs come later on in my career, mm. especially like my first album, my yeah. solo album, right? Was very subdued, and she likes that. But um, so our song "Lullaby for a Cat" used to not be a song; mm-hmm. like it used to be attached. Uh, it still is in a way. The transition is like as if it's one song, but it used to be attached to uh, the song before it, which was like. Rain again tomorrow. So it, it used to be just be one track. And um, my wife heard it and sh- she was like, you know, you should really turn this into a separate song because like it's really good. And I understand that you want this to be attached to the song before, but um, like it should, it, it deserves to be a song on its own. So that's why I decided to turn it into two tracks, but that are connected if you listen together. Yeah. And that's a good example of what happens when she listens to my music early. But many other times, <laughs> she'll be like, this, dude, this song, you're really going to do this song? And I'm like, why? And she's like, oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> she well, starts with that aggressive tone. And, and then I'm she's like, like, wait, what was back, that? Pull back head on. <laughs> I'm like, she's like, She's like, oh, you're not really going with these drums though, are you? And I'm like, why? And she's like, no, because cause they're great. <laughs> and then I'll be back in the studio on Monday like changing up the drums. Yeah. That's, that's great. I don't play for my family often because my daughter's really savage as well. <laughs> like I'll play something for her and she'll be like… She'll be like… Mm. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, no, it's so good. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening today. And hopefully we can do part two sometime in the future. So just keep listening to the Tableau Podcast.